this is Daryl. Thank you for listening. The Bundesliga is back and we have a big review show for you today. We also have a new project that we're involved in, but I'm not going to tell you about it here. The details will be at the end of today's show. I also have a question for you from today's sponsor, Remarkably Remote. How's working from home been going for you? Remarkably Remote is a podcast from GoToMeeting and Remarkably Remote will help you succeed in today's quote new normal unquote. In three minutes or less, Remarkably Remote will share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload and relationships to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeeting.com slash tips. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who never gets injured in the warm-up. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. And if I, if I do, I have the good grace to lie about it so I can still play because that's what people need. <laughs> is that what you think Gio Reyna should have done today? No. No, it's not. <laughs> so we are here with our Bundesliga review. Live yeah, we are. soccer is back. Taylor, as promised, I got up early and watched all kinds of soccer. You did indeed. What what time did you wake up early? Did you did you make it in time for kickoff? Were you rushing? Did you have to watch on delay? Um, so I actually woke up at seven, had a little something to eat, went back to sleep, woke up at nine. That's a risky game. It That's is. a risky game to play. But I tell you this: woke up at nine, straight in the shower, put the coffee pot on, <laughs> got it done. <laughs> 9.30, I was you, sitting friend. there, showered, wide awake, no chance of falling asleep, especially yeah. not when we had two Americans going up against each other in what I call the Paul Revere derby. Because it was going to be <laughs> Gio Reyna for yeah. Dortmund, starting for Dortmund. I believe it was his first Bundesliga start. I'm not confident in that. Um, up against Weston McKenney for Schalke. Everybody was pumped. Didn't you tweet that it was like Christmas had come early? Yeah. Um, and I double-checked. I double-checked to make sure. I was like, I did see that like right when I woke up or around when I woke up or maybe I was getting out of the shower. Similar to you. Maybe not quite all there. So I checked it again before I tweeted because I was like, I want to make sure that he's in the starting 11. I didn't see that as like he's a sub or not in the squad today and just somehow my brain interpreted that then I tweeted it then I went to watch the game and kept looking for that number two and then I moved to the level of desperation where I was like maybe he changed his number in the uh in the like the two-month window or the month window maybe that's the difference but in the end it was just that he's a late scratch he picked up an injury did not play so injured in the warm-up mm-hmm. Thorgan Hazard comes in instead and yeah. gets what a goal and an assist uh-huh he gets Gio Reyna's goal and assist he does and I don't like it I don't like it at all so all in all, and we'll go, we'll go through the list, not a great day for Americans. There's a John Brooks' yeah. own goal to talk about mm-hmm. later. Um, I guess Tyler Adams did the best out of anybody. Weston McKenney did not have a great game for Schalke, but that's, I think, as much Schalke's fault as Weston McKenney's fault. Yeah. Um, but on the plus side, Taylor, yeah. we did have some pretty high-quality soccer to watch and to analyze. Do you agree or disagree? Yes. I mean, I do if you're talking specifically about Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> not so much Schalke? Uh-uh. The 0-4, as many have joked, being very important in this one. 
<laughs> oh, that's harsh. That's harsh. Um, <laughs> I think so, I saw Gary Lineker tweet that one first. So it finished Borussia Dortmund 4, Schalke mm-hmm. nil. It was never really in doubt after that first goal from um, Erling Haaland. But it's also really important because it means the title race is, is definitely on, right? This puts yes. uh, Dortmund, what, one point behind Bayern, although Bayern play against Union Berlin tomorrow. Like we said in the preview, if Dortmund had lost this, a lot mm-hmm. of the excitement would have fallen out of the Bundesliga just as it was coming back. Especially with Leipzig, uh, we'll get we'll get to them later. But with Leipzig drawing, yeah. like there was that possibility that the first day back, both the title like contenders, two of the three drop points, and suddenly we're in a situation where now Bayern haven't even played and the yeah. gap has opened up. And do you know what? In the build up to this, um, I, if anyone had had asked me about, um, okay, I'm going to watch Bundesliga, who should I support? My answer was always, don't support a team, just just watch the matches, right? Yeah. But I think I'm wrong. I think the answer is if you're a complete neutral and you're just looking for some entertainment because you're just starved of live sport for the last couple of months, probably the most fun thing you can do is support either Borussia Dortmund or Borussia Mönchengladbach because yeah. they're exciting to watch each week. You're guaranteed some fun soccer and they're in a title race that they might not win because Bayern are kind of this unstoppable machine, unstoppable title winning machine. Yeah. Um, but it'll be exciting along the way. So maybe that is the correct answer. Support a Borussia um, yeah. <laughs> for the rest of the Bundesliga. Take your pick. Pick your Borussia. Yeah, I didn't think they, they uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, were going to have quite as easy of a time as they did. But uh, Frankfurt were happy to comply with that one. But I think if you are neutral, I don't see how you watch this game and don't come away thinking, I'm definitely going to watch Borussia Dortmund the next time around as well. Because they were fun yeah. from start to finish. And not only did we see goals, we saw some of their key, key performers. The one we haven't even mentioned is that Jaden Sancho doesn't start, which was my, my fallback when there was no Gio Reyna. I was like, all right, well, at least I get to see Jaden Sancho run yeah. around a little bit. You and then after about run. 10 minutes, I was like, wait, he's not there either. What's happening? <laughs> Well, before we get to um, the tactical breakdown, because I think mm-hmm. Dortmund Schalke was an interesting tactical game, yeah, and an analysis of all four Dortmund goals, which were all pretty nice to watch, right? Yes, um, we should address the slight strangeness of the situation, right? Yeah, no fans in the stadium. Yeah. Um, these players hadn't played a competitive game for two months; they've only been training for six weeks or so. Um, you've got um, all the coaches with their face masks. You've got all the Mm -hmm. subs sitting two meters apart, which is slightly more than six feet, by the way, which is interesting. There's a slightly higher standard for social distancing in Germany (laughs) because they use the metric system. Um, I mean, that's ideal. Good for them. I I guess, I guess, I guess it helps. Um, So how much do you think um, this resembled regular soccer that we would have been watching? It was really weird to not have the crowd noise. Like, I'll, I'll say that. And, yeah. and I know there was a lot of people saying, like, this is weird. This isn't soccer. This feels unnatural. I wasn't quite to that level. But it was very strange to not have that sort of, like, booming atmosphere as we come into the feed and as the game is happening. And I think we could talk about commentators now. We could talk about it later. I'll kind of follow your lead. But I also felt like they hadn't really adjusted their game. And so yeah. it was sort of this, like, kind of flat atmosphere. The commentators, I think, were still anticipating the fans making some of that noise and when they didn't i think it became that much easier to focus on them and i think they were maybe a little bit drier than i would have liked for a a game like this let's go in detail on the bundesliga world feed commentators later on because i think it's interesting but i don't want to delay talking about the actual game because that's what i've been waiting two months for taylor yeah, buddy. Yeah, we've, been, we, we've already been talking about like how people talk about things and the way people talk about things and talking about talking about people who talk about things. Let's talk about the actual game, shall we? <laughs> okay, so Dortmund hosting Schalke. 
Lots of um, tactical interest, I would yes. say here. Have you got any big points you want to start off with, with how these two teams decided to match up against each other in what turned out to be just a regular Revere Derby, not a Paul Revere Derby? There's something to be said for the beauty of like two teams playing a back three, which was certainly <laughs> not unintentional, but that was my first thing. Is just It's always great when it's a back three versus a back three because you can tell someone is trying to negate something else somewhere else. Yeah. And so figuring out how that works, but also figuring out if they both can sort of execute their game plan and how it's all going to play out. I think when you've got a similar shape, Dortmund in kind of a 3-4-2-1, uh, I would say maybe, maybe uh, not quite the same thing with Schalke, but definitely in a back three with two ahead of them uh then yeah. it just kind of all fell apart but I'd call I think that's the three, key four, thing. Three, give or take. yeah okay i like yeah. that and i and i think that that was interesting to me to see how they were going to match up and to see that basically dortmund played their game more or less schalke i think tried to play a game yeah. i'm not even going to say their game uh, i think they tried to play dortmund's game and failed pretty spectacularly well before, let's start simple and build to sure. the more complicated tactics all right so the first thing that jumped out to me um, with Dortmund's, I'm going to call them front three. It's essentially Haaland as a central striker and uh, Brandt and Hazard underneath, mm-hmm. right? But it felt like the opposite of static. It wasn't just like Brandt was on the left and Hazard was on the right. They were wandering around. And I think that's one of the things that caused Schalke all kinds of trouble. And I think that's a thing that, that Dortmund have done all season, right? They've deliberately yeah. not had a very static two attacking midfielders. Those guys, I was going to say go wandering, but that makes it sound random. They, they seem to deliberately pull defences all over the place and get yeah. between that defensive line and that midfield line. And that's why you see a lot of Brandt receiving the ball and Hazard receiving the ball. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. Like they certainly have pace. It is not as though Dortmund are like notoriously slow. But it's interesting to see that they have that much movement. They have mu- have that much kind of fluidity. And yet, I wouldn't say they're the fastest team. Like Erling Haaland is is decent, but like he's not beating anybody in a foot race. But I think because oh, I'd of say the, he is. I'm, I'm, I'd be scared of Haaland's pace. You think so? Yeah, I think it's because yeah. he's so big. Maybe it's just that that maybe in my mind he's so tall. I think that it making, looks like he's not fast. You're making the same mistake all Bundesliga defenders made when he first came to the. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't ready for the pace in behind. That could be. But I guess what I mean to say is I don't think of him as this like very quick, like trying to cheat the offside trap and play in behind on a high line or something like that. You don't have that level of pace. It's not about individual dribbling. It's about how quickly they move the ball and how they keep that kind of movement. But as they move around, they keep the shape they need to, once they regain possession, immediately keep it moving and kind of completely discombobulate their opposition. I actually think if you want an example of uh, not needing pace to, to discombobulate yep. and tear defenses apart, I don't mm-hmm. think Haaland's the guy to use. I think Brandt is the guy to use. Yeah, that's probably fair. He's involved in all four goals, and a lot of them, it's just like one or two touches yep. without really going anywhere that absolutely cracks open the Schalke defense. And we'll get into the details of those of those touches as we analyze every goal. I haven't. I want to. I should reach out my notes. I'm pretty confident he does something incredible on every single one of these Dortmund goals. Does Julian? Uh, I mean, I'm happy to go with you on that one because, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's pretty good. I don't appreciate him being uh, blonde hair with the pink shoes. Uh, I did occasionally get him in Holland confused. I was very uh, uncertain as to how he had assisted for the ball in to himself, uh, and then I went back and watched him <laughs> realized it was Brandt and not Holland assisting himself. <laughs> the good thing is, well, if he holds his shoes up to his face, he looks like Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does. Holland also looks just like a tiny baby. I want to add that as well. He does. He does, of a baby. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. He looks like it's been photoshopped. Or it's like I, one I think of those it's deep fake videos. It's passed down from Norwegian striker to Norwegian striker. Someone has to be a baby face. That's how it works. <laughs> one other thing worth noting about Dortmund, again, kind of a simple tactical thing. Mm-hmm. They were missing their starting pair of first choice central midfielders 
Axel Witzel and Emre Can, right? That yeah. is their starting central midfield. And they essentially played the two deputies. Mahmoud Dahoud is kind of like the Witzel deputy. And uh, Thomas, I'm pretty sure Thomas Delaney um, mm-hmm. was the Emre Can deputy. And these guys did not look like deputies. These guys looked like the sheriffs. Yes, they, they absolutely did to the point where I, I kind of forgot that they were not playing their two yeah. starting central midfielders as well as like the attacker that they wanted and they had to go to Torgan Hazard. Yeah, I mean, this is a Dortmund team missing three of their key players, four of their key players, if you want to throw Jaden Sancho in there. And yet, uh, able, able to do just fine, which I think, again, uh, speaks to the importance of the system and everybody buying into it and understanding what's being asked of them. So if you'll go with me, I'd like to talk about Schalke's attempts to contain Dortmund. <laughs> Sure. Okay. Attempts being the uh, key word there. So here's what happened. When Here's what I saw, at least. When yep. Dortmund had the ball at the back and they were ready to sort of build, ready to try and unleash Hazard and Brandt and Haaland or Hakimi flying down the wing, um, Schalke had this plan that I'm sure David Wagner's been working on for a little bit, the coach, um, to have his front three, which was Amin Harit, Rahman and Kalajuri, um, go and sort of pressure the ball and pressure the players around the ball. And then the two central midfielders, Serdar and our darling, Weston McKenney, <laughs> would then go and apply like an extra wave of pressure. So you have five people pressuring the ball and it worked. It absolutely worked for like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want. That's the goal. And it, so if you, if you rewatch the first three, four, five minutes, there's a lot of Dortmund trying to work the ball out of the back, but ending up having to go backwards. There's one where like Piszczek is forced back into his own corner and has to just bang it clear and it goes straight to Serdar and then Schalke attack. And I really thought for a minute that maybe Wagner had this brilliant idea to contain Dortmund with this front five. The problem was this system works all the time until it doesn't work. (laughs) And once that ball goes beyond McKenney and Serdar, the two central midfielders, and gets behind them, I think I said to you before that when that happens, the room is on fire (laughs) because everything has just gone wrong at that point. You've committed Serdar and McKenney forward. Um, You've got Brandt and Hazard are in space to come and receive the ball. And there's no cover. They're just free to then go and attack Schalke's uh, back three or back five. And then if John Joe Kenny on the right, and um, I always have trouble pronouncing his name, but um, Oshipka uh, on the left, if they're pulled forward as Caesar well. Caesar J's, man. Caesar J's in Turkish. So I would go Oshipka. Oshipka. Uh, uh, that guy. Ozipka, yeah. Um, yeah. So if those, are, if those guys are pulled forward, then suddenly Schalke's back three is in all kinds of trouble. And it happened more than once. And it mm-hmm. happened um, especially in the end, in the, in the 29th minute, when Dortmund finally break through. So that's what I saw as Schalke's um, attempts to contain Dortmund. And I'd also argue that's the reason why it doesn't work. Let me ask you this then. Do you feel like this was Dortmund like, kind of being figured out a little bit in the very beginning and then like, calming down, adjusting what they needed to do, finding the passes and playing their way through? Or was this sort of like Schalke doing the best they could, but eventually Dortmund are going to find a way through? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like yeah, basically, was the, this Schalke it's the latter. making it work? Okay. Yeah, I go. think it's Schalke like um, had a plan that maybe contained Dortmund for a little while. Yeah. Um, but eventually, eventually the, uh, the, the the lid gets loose and Dortmund, <laughs> and Dortmund break through. So I wouldn't uh, even phrase it as Dortmund had been figured out. I mean, mm-hmm. any soccer match, especially in Germany, I feel like it's often a real tactical battle, right? Yeah. Um, there's like the initial, um, there's the initial gambit from one coach to try and contain the superior team, which is what Dortmund are, right? They're the better mm-hmm. team. Um, and then it's just, you just wait and see, has the team got what it takes to pick its way through or to get out of this escape room is maybe... Uh, Maybe a way to look at it. Like every good team faces an escape room that the uh, the lesser team has set up for them. 
All right, that makes sense. Uh, what I couldn't figure out, uh, and it sounds like you have an answer, and I think I, I'll go with you there, but I couldn't figure out, like, we've played in those games where we go up against a team, we're not really familiar with them, and let's say, like, in the first minute or two, they've got a couple, like, like miscontrols, or maybe we do put them under pressure, and the, the kind of control is loose, and that can kind of build in your head. It's the first impression. Oh, these guys are there for the taking. We just got to put them under pressure. But maybe they're actually a very technical team. They made those mistakes three times, but they're not going to make them again, and then we've sort of built our entire game around, like, let's press them and cause them problem because they can't handle it. And I guess I did wonder if that was a little bit what happened is like Schalke, it worked initially. So they doubled down on that pressure. They doubled down that intensity. But then Dortmund kind of make a couple little adjustments, slow it down and are able to kind of completely nullify that. The way I would frame it is Mm -hmm. once you see what, if you're Dortmund, once you see what Schalke are doing, uh, I mean, Dortmund was still mostly good enough to retain possession, right? They just mm-hmm. weren't good enough to break through. But once you see what Schalke's shape is with the, the three attackers coming to press you and then uh, Serdar and McKennie in behind, then eventually you can you get a feel for where the gaps are, basically. Yeah, okay, and that some, makes sense. Sometimes the gap was literally between McKennie and Serdar. Like, if you yeah. could play a ball directly between the two central midfielders, they could get it into Hazard and Brandt or Haaland uh, coming to show for the ball. And I think it's, it's basically once you just figure it out, right? Once you see where the gaps are, you start playing through those gaps. Yeah, and, and then, and so then if we do go with the idea that, like, eventually uh, Dortmund will find a way through, like, it's Schalke doing it as well as they can, then when they do, and it's in the first half, it's inside the first 30 minutes, you sort of have to adjust to make sure that doesn't happen again and simultaneously go out and get that goal, a thing that Schalke have not done well this season. They have struggled in front of goal. They have not had many good uh, goal scorers in that squad and lack of attacking options. So I think at that point, then you've got the Schalke team that are maybe going to be a little bit more desperate, but also still have those vulnerabilities, and I think weren't able able to find a way through themselves couldn't find those passing options kept kind of getting contained and boxed in and isolated and frustrated and then more goals happen and it ends in kind of a blowout yeah i would argue that dortmund's defensive setup was actually very impressive but it's obviously not what gets the attention because it's not it's not as fun to watch a team defending a really good 5-4-1 as it is to watch brand's picking passes and harland running past people my my guess would be complete speculation. Um, I, I was reading the, I think Michael Cox's zonal marking, and he was talking about when Klopp took over at Liverpool, and all they did the first week when he took over was defense. And so, if you remember, like there was the hunting and packs, there wasn't a little bit of, the, there was that gate pressing, but then when they got the ball back, it was like, well, what do we do now? We're not entirely sure how to attack from this system. Yeah. And because he had, and I, it feels like maybe the teams that sort of took that approach in the first couple weeks of training of like, let's get the defense organized and locked down. Those are the ones that had a lot of success today, and the ones that were like. Let's Let's try some attacking drills and play some small-sided. <laughs> they got a little bit smoked uh, on the day. It, we, we were texting back and forth, right, about why Dortmund's defensive setup mm-hmm. was as effective as it was because it looked like there was a gap between essentially the back five and then the midfield four, right? And the midfield mm-hmm. four is made up of the aforementioned Dahoud and Delaney and then Branton Hazard would come and like, be the, the wide guys in that, that four defensive shape, right? Then they just leave yep. Erling Haaland up front. But there was a gap between the back five and the midfield four. And I'm pretty confident what happened is the midfield four stayed really close together and almost like let the wings be open and it could just be defended by the wingbacks, right? Hakimi and our Turkish friend. Ozipka. That's the guy. He's German, but I'm assuming he's German-Turkish. Okay, yeah. Um, So, yeah, the wings could be defended by the wingbacks, but that midfield Mm -hmm. four then really stayed really tight together. And, you know, like I was saying, there were gaps between Weston McKinney and Serdar, and Dortmund could play the ball between the gap. There was no gap between these four whatsoever. Um, And this is where I really felt sorry for Weston McKinney, right? Schalke had their back three. Weston McKinney was the guy closest to them to receive the ball. 
every time he received it, he had a line of four Dortmund players in front of mm-hmm. him. And then the targets he was going for um, ahead of that, he had no chance of getting through. He did not have a good game, but he also was not in a good situation. Yeah, I mean, it, it is things can be two things. He was not put in a situation to like thrive, but then in the moment when he could have maybe helped elevate what Schalke were trying to do, I think he struggled a bit. Yeah. A lot of times it was either in transition to attack or transition to defense. It was a heavy touch or he'd get a little bit out of position or have to kind of body somebody but leave somebody else open. I think, yeah, it was a rusty performance from him yeah. for sure, do you remember, but certainly not the worst performance from Schalke overall. Yeah, I mean, yeah, do you remember last year? Um, so there was a, that moment in the third minute, I don't know if this sticks in your memory, when McKenney joins an attack and gets to the top of the box and just yep. tries to play a ball out wide but plays it directly into Rafael Guerrero it's almost like he thought Guerrero wasn't there and McKenney passes straight to him I mean I knew in that moment this is not going to be a good Western McKenney day yeah and, and, and not just because that's like an errant pass you don't want to see that but because where he is on the field and the role he's playing if you're giving that ball over chances are turning it over chances are that you have numbers committed to the attack and it's probably not in an advantageous situation so that when that ball is misplayed, now you've got numbers committed forward, you have vulnerabilities in the center, and it really is the type of ball that you cannot afford to misplace and is probably one that, uh, even if I didn't focus in on it and you did, I'm guessing uh, David Factor certainly will. I'm sure, I'm sure he didn't not notice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Weston McKenney can't be sort of a patriotic celebration today. Nah. And it can't be Gio Reyna either. We don't know what happened, how bad the Gio Reyna warm-up injury is i'm hoping it doesn't mean he's out for any length the, of time because we the were... last reporting i saw was uh a a mild pull of a muscle or a ligament that they are monitoring but expect to be minor maybe only a few days that's not so bad right that's not yeah. so bad. <laughs> you are correct in the way that you said that <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we talk about the goals taylor will yeah. you join me in talking about today's sponsor today's total soccer show is sponsored by Podium Wear. Podium Wear mm-hmm. is the family-owned business in St. Paul, Minnesota that you've heard us talking about all week on the Total Soccer Show. A custom team apparel manufacturer in Minnesota that is turning the world of team soccer kit ordering on its head. That's right. So they do provide custom designs and a full line of soccer apparel, all made, as Daryl said, in that uh, factory in St. Paul. In normal times, we'd talk about how wonderful that process is. Let's say you are motivated by Dortmund. You can probably find a a hybrid jersey that looks even better than when, what Dortmund have, but you can go with the yellow and black. Yeah. Or if you are Dortmund right now and maybe you need face masks, let's say, and it seems like they need <laughs> custom face masks, then you also have Podium Wear because they have uh, started making face masks for you to wear while you're out and about or maybe coaching on the sidelines or sitting slightly over six feet away from a teammate uh, on the bench. <laughs> so if you go to PodiumWear.com, you can buy one for yourself or you can customize masks for a team. We would also encourage you to uh, bookmark PodiumWear.com for when you can buy soccer kits again and you want to buy your U14s, a Borussia Dortmund uh, kit, Borussia Dortmund-like kit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that you can't do the exact one, but you can get that color scheme, right? Uh, from PodiumWear.com. Um, that's, that's where you need to go once we can all play soccer again. <laughs> It, it is. So thank you very much to PodiumWear.com for sponsoring this episode and for making it easier for people to find face masks because they should be wearing them. I do like the custom ones for teams. I don't know if I could bring myself to wear a branded one, but may, maybe some people really want to support their new Bundesliga club or their old Bundesliga club, depending on your fandom. <laughs> uh, then, yeah, PodiumWear have you covered for sure. So visit PodiumWear.com. Thank you to PodiumWear for sponsoring today's show. Taylor, you ready to talk some goals, some live goals it. that I saw mm-hmm. on my television this morning? 
<laughs> I am uh, so much so that I almost uh, coughed with enthusiasm. Uh, yes, let's let's get to uh, you know what, Daryl. I think we should start with the first goal. I think that's the way to go. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it works out. <laughs> so, in the 29th minute, Erling yep. Haaland breaks this game open, makes it one nil. The assist comes from Thorgan Hazard. Um, yeah. If this was MLS, Julian Brandt would be getting credit for that flick to put Hazard in behind as well. Yeah, I'm going to say Julian Brandt opened this game up and then uh, <laughs> Erling Haaland to slam that door closed afterwards. <laughs> so um, I think I, I talked a long time about tactics and what Schalke were doing and what mm-hmm. Dortmund were doing. I don't want to be accused of hugging the show. So is there anything you want to sort of analyze or get to about this goal? I mean, it, it is the sort of like when you have a team that is like pressuring, causing you problems, if you keep that ball moving quickly, and the big thing is if you're calm on the ball, you pull them in, and then you exploit the fact that you have kind of created a little bit of narrowness, and you can exploit the width or the gaps that open up, you can take advantage and obviously find some space, and that is kind of what Dortmund do here. It's, it's calmness on the ball, in possession on the left side, that then you're able to move the ball quickly to the right. It's a quick sequence of passes and that great little flick from Julian Brandt, but it's how Dortmund able to switch it quickly but keep the possession and keep the numbers moving forward that really creates that massive overload that Schalke just cannot adjust to yes if yeah when people rewatch this you'll see most of the Schalke players are over on that right side of the field right and Dortmund they switch it like between their center backs essentially to just get it really quickly to the other side of the field and I think this is what draws out players who didn't need to be drawn out necessarily um our German Turkish friend who plays left back Ozipka. Ozipka. Um, so um, he, he steps up quite high to mark Hakimi, which is a thing he hadn't been doing most of the time. Um, Harit is beaten by Piszczek, who is the, uh, the right centre-back. And then it's Brandt that come, comes and shows, and he's brought Nastasic, the left centre-back, mm-hmm. with him. And then because Nastasic has been pulled out, Thorgan Hazard can run into that space behind. So they essentially, because there aren't enough numbers on Schalke's left side, those numbers get pulled forward to try and, uh, to try and pressure the ball. And then they exploit the space that's left behind as they pull forward does that it's make almost sense? it's almost like they all had plus one invites to this game because they kept bringing people with them <laughs> you're welcome true. for that this is the type of analysis that people have missed i'm sure <laughs> i've missed it i've definitely <laughs> missed it because the key moment is once peace check um, he does like a nice little cut on harit right and then he feeds it into julian brandt and i think it's a really hard pass that brandt plays uh yep. he plays like the onward pass to hazard who's running behind into all that space I don't quite know how he does it. Uh, it looks to me that he's able to like adjust his position and like body weight. Basically, he's able to like hop over to then use the outside of his right to like shuffle that ball on. But it's about the kind of movement before to set himself up to be able to use that. But that he can process exactly where he needs to be, or basically that he wants to use that part of his foot to play the ball into the space he does, and then the awareness to know exactly how to put himself in the shape to be able to do that in about a half second is uh, why he's better than me. I bet if we could zoom in on Nastasic's face in that moment, yeah. you'd, you'd see the look on his face of, yeah. oh no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, it goes from I gotcha to, uh-oh, real fast. Oh no. And Thorgan Hazard, who could have been Gio Reyna, but it was Thorgan Hazard, um, is away. <laughs> I think he plays it first time, um, yep. sort of across the top of the six-yard box, more or less. And Erling Haaland, I, I've watched this several times. I think the main thing that Erling Haaland does is just to run between Sané and Tadebo. Mm-hmm. And not let either of them pick him up. He's sort of like blindside to Sane and too far away from Tadebo and too fast for both of them. And then just mm-hmm. appears between them and beyond them to meet this hazard cross. And the thing that, that is, I think, so impressive about Haaland that this goal 
does simultaneously it tells you and then you can easily miss if you're not really watching it because it can just look like oh he just kind of gets on the end of a, a great cross a great passing move and he's in the right position at the right time but the the sort of like and this is where the like patterns of play come in that this is clearly a, a sequence that they've worked on either it be Hazard coming in crossing that ball or Hakimi either way Haaland kind of knows where that ball is going to be delivered and where he needs to be mm-hmm. so that he's not as it's coming in I, my guess would be is not thinking about oh that ball is now being passed to me where do I need to be so that I can connect with it he's already done that math and as the ball's being played in is already evaluating Schubert as he's coming off his line and seeing how he approaches and it's that level of awareness but ability to sort of know okay all this is happening I've already processed that now let me see what this person's doing where Schubert is solely focused on how do I get to that ball how do I make a play on this so Holland has that sort of advantage to read and easily finishes or makes a difficult finish look really easy but it's because he has that awareness and that sort of quick decision making so the decision making from Julian Brandt very quick, very smart, very technical. The same for Erling Haaland in this finish. And for Hazard as well. I mean, I, I would argue yeah, that sure, what makes Dortmund so scary is that all these players appear to be on the same page and they're all reading the book very, very quickly. Yes, and we're missing <laughs> like three of their starters. <laughs> let's, let's reiterate that one more time. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so uh, let's talk second goal. No, sure. do you know what? I want to talk about Haaland's celebration. Oh, Did yes, you please. recognize it? Was it a thing you recognized? I thought it was just like a, a sway dance. I don't know. It seemed like something that they had probably practiced. A lot of the celebrations today felt like things that they had been sternly briefed by a stern German person yeah. not to celebrate uh, over the top or, or do anything too much. So it felt like they had kind of gotten that briefing and, and lived by it. Yeah. But was there something more to it that I'm missing? Well, I, I'm just so first of all, there's an arrested development type thing of no touching. right? OK, <laughs> so you, yeah, no touching. So uh-huh. for those who didn't see this, Harland, yeah, just stands there and sways. And a couple of teammates stands there and sway. Mm-hmm. In, is it fair to call it slow motion kind of? Yeah, um, I'm st- I've started to- slow mo samba, slow mo samba. I've started to go with the theory that any dancing celebration I don't recognize is probably from Fortnite. Fortnite? (laughs) Is that that accurate? It does. It might also have been that sort of moment of like, the one I'll go with is like Michael Scott in the office when there's no PDA and it's this sort of like oh we're not allowed to touch I don't know what to do now (laughs) like that's kind of what it felt like to me I like that the director also didn't know what to do because it took or the camera person it took them a while to realize that other people were dancing if you see it from the wide angle pretty much the entire Dortmund team is over there sort of also awkwardly dancing but they don't show us that they just show us Holland and in the moment I forgot they're not allowed to touch and celebrate as a big group so I thought like oh wow he is really unpopular it wasn't just (laughs) PSG who didn't like him even his own teammates don't want to hug him (laughs) all right should we get to the second goal sure Uh, you mentioned schubert uh kind Mm -hmm. of not quite knowing what to do when harland is in there so Uh this second goal um it's scored by rafael guerrero it starts with schubert the schalke keeper um he is under pressure from erling harland and to give schubert some credit i think he looks around for his options and he realizes he doesn't have any options to pass to, right? So mm. then he has to just try and take a touch away from Erling Haaland, who he's definitely not given up, and then basically fluffs it upfield, right? He does not get a good connection on it. It goes. I don't think it, it feels like it doesn't get that high, does it? It's kind of a low. No, it feels like two minds. It feels like he's trying to play it to feet, but also simultaneously panicking because he doesn't want to get caught. So he's trying to hoof it upfield, but maybe at the last second, like spotted somebody and thought I could maybe play it to their feet, and then I'll be a genius. 
But instead, because he's making a last-second decision and kind of panicking, it's low hit, doesn't really, really uh, avoid any pressure at all, and if anything, invites a massive counterattack. Straight to Mahmoud Dahoud, who yeah. uh, we mentioned earlier. I really was impressed by his quick decision-making, his yeah. quick getting-out-of-pressure mm-hmm. little moves that Dahoud had. Um, I really think if Witzel keeps keeping him out of the team, if I was Dahoud, I might yeah. think about going somewhere else and being the man. Um, I, I don't disagree with you just because seeing him start, I remember being like, oh, I thought his kind of career was like on the way out. Like maybe we weren't going to see much of him. That could be problematic. And instead, routinely, I was like, is that not Emery Jean? Like he is <laughs> patrolling that midfield, locking it down, winning fouls and being very like technical, but like one and two touches. Yeah. Wasn't trying to do anything too elaborate. And that's what happens here, right? Dude collects it mm-hmm. really easily, like goes, goes a little, drives forward a little bit. Gives it to Julian Brandt. Yep. This is the second moment of Julian Brandt, like weaving some magic without really moving. I'm pretty sure Julian Brandt just receives this with his left foot, turns a little bit, and then rolls a ball with his right foot perfectly into the path of the onrushing Rafael Guerrero. Who, uh, he can hit a ball, Daryl. Did you know that? Can. Yeah, right in the far bottom corner, right? <laughs> yes, and and this really was uh, not the ideal way to end a first half and not the ideal way to start a second half <laughs> either uh, for Schalke, but certainly it was for Dortmund. And just the the rapidity of that of that counterattack that it just you can see it as soon as that ball is won back by Tahoud he makes the smart touch and then he transitions into the attack and at that point you see the numbers streaming forward and you can freeze frame it there and just by like by paint by numbers see exactly how this play is going to go down and that is exactly how that play goes down with the overlapping runs with the sprint forward with the numbers Schalke stay tight then have to spread at the last minute but it's too much and it's a great finish from Guerrero but Schalke certainly don't help themselves too much yeah here. I tried to figure out maybe who was to blame uh, for Schalke defensively and I saw John Joe Kenny the right back had advanced really far so when Guerrero starts sprinting like he's maybe his mark but Guerrero is just so far beyond him Kenny starts waving at Tadebo to pick him up like gesticulating hey 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 get him yep. but Tadebo's already stepped out and he's kind of frozen in his tracks like a rabbit in headlights by uh, Julian Brandt's moves on the ball and he's really between a rock and a hard place right because he's between Julian Brandt and the unrushing Guerrero um, and in the end I think it's kind of nobody's fault because everybody's in an impossible situation from the moment um, the ball goes to Dahoud's foot. So I, I don't disagree with you there. I think Schubert is probably the one who definitely should be hanging oh, yeah. his head with shame on this one. But you mentioned Tadibo, and Tadibo is a player that you kind of spotlighted in our Bundesliga's back preview. You were excited about that matchup with him and Holland and how it was going to go. Instead, we have Tadibo, not instead, but we have basically Tadibo, uh, two goals, pulled out at halftime. Uh, he has the incident with Holland where because there's no fans, you can hear that he invites him to uh, fornicate with his grandmother, is yeah. how I'll say that one. Uh, which, you, so which it, you know, does not adhere to social distancing rules. It does not. It does not. That would be a violation. Don't do that. Uh, also, just don't do that in, peri- in general because it'd be weird. But like th- this, I feel like probably was not the battle that maybe you were expecting from Tadebo. No, it wasn't. I mean, <laughs> we did get a Haaland Tadebo battle as well, where mm-hmm. um, Haaland, I think when Tadebo insults him, yeah. it's because Haaland has put his shoulder directly into Tadebo's yeah. sternum, right? Which is not cool. I'm pretty sure Tadebo gets injured as well. Do you know there's that moment when, I can't remember who it is, it might be Hakimi. Um, Tadebo covers for someone else because Hakimi has burned Nastasic, mm-hmm. I think. And then he has to like chase him down and slide, and he slides into that rubber matting. And then he's kind of mm-hmm. limping from that moment on. So I feel like from about halfway through the first half, Tadebo is not... Um, is not fully himself. And I'm not surprised when he's subbed out at halftime. Yeah, nor am I, because I think didn't have the strongest game. And then looking at uh, Sané, Nastasic, I think if you're uh, David Wagner, maybe if you're going to try to sh- change the shape, you're going to keep those two in there. So it does mean you sacrifice to Debo. And then if he is carrying an injury, 
that makes more sense. So I guess that makes me feel better that it wasn't just him sort of like bottling this big 1v1 moment. It was more so other circumstances and then maybe also not playing a great game. Before we talk about halftime changes, which David Wagner does make, and they almost work for three minutes, um, (laughs) and Schalke (laughs) Dortmund's second two goals, I do want to talk about Schubert for a second. Schubert... Kind of was I keep calling him Schubert because I keep thinking he's French, but he's definitely German, so it's definitely <laughs> Schubert. Well done. He was not expected to be Schalke's starting keeper this season. Do you know about the Alexander Nubel situation? I, I do, but let's talk about it. Okay, so Alexander Nubel was Schalke's starting keeper this year. He's a young keeper, mm-hmm. like really highly rated. His contract was running out this summer. Um, instead of signing a new contract and continuing to be Schalke's starting keeper, he's gone on a Bosman to Bayern Munich, where Manuel Neuer already is. People at Schalke were not happy about this. And so, Mm -hmm. essentially, David Wagner just said, all right, you're going to do that, then you can ride the bench for the rest of the season, and Schubert's going to start instead. And I just want to ask the question, did David Wagner make a mistake? Because Schubert's performance was not good this game. I mean, you get it. You understand why there's the frustration. You understand why David Wagner would uh, maybe make this choice. But simultaneously, that that does feel like a sort of luxury of a team that have more talent and more depth and can sort of better afford that. It's also not a situation in which, like, Louis van Gaal benching David De Gea because he seems uncertain. It sort of is a power move, and then you can see what happens from it. Whereas here, it's like, you're benched for six months. This other guy's coming in. If anything, it's sort of, it builds that tension and that frustration probably in the locker room because you've got this great goalkeeper who is going to be moving to Bayern Munich. You mentioned Manuel Neuer there. It's worth remembering. Where did Manuel Neuer come from? Oh, Schalke. That would be Schalke, <laughs> yes. So I think this is probably doubly painful and maybe also why things have kind of gone the way they have. But maybe worth keeping an eye on next week's Bundesliga games mm-hmm. to see who starts in goal for Schalke. I hope it is uh, Schubert, though, that said. Having said that it probably shouldn't be Schubert because you have the, a keeper of the quality of Nubel, like, it does feel like if you kind of turn here and decide, like, never mind, you can come back in, is David Wagner then oh, going so back on what he had said? You're and saying then stick, you to your, have... stick to the principle, stick to your guns, and stick yeah. stick with Schubert. Okay. I'm not saying I would have done that in the first place, but once you establish that, you can't be like, that's it, you're benched for the season until I definitely need you and we're not doing well. <laughs> Unless something happens with Schubert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here's Wagner's halftime changes. He mm-hmm. doesn't bring Schubert out for Nubel. Um, he does bring Tadebo the centre-back out and bring in Bergstahler, his big centre-forward. And the, the story with Bergstahler has always been, he's a good, like, hard-working hold-up guy, does not score a lot of goals, right? That's kind of uh, been Bergstahler's problem at Schalke. But at least you now, can extend that to everybody who's in a forward or attacking position at Schalke. This but is yeah, true. Sure. This is true. But now Schalke at least have a big target man, which they did not before, right? And then also uh, brings out Rahman, who is one of the little strikers, um, mm-hmm. and uh, Robbie Matundo comes on. And from be- the best I can tell, Schalke give up on the three-four-three, um, and they go to what looks like a four-four-two diamond. Are you yep. with me on that? Yes, I am. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's good. We didn't talk about this before, so I was, I was really nervous to float that by you, and you'd be like, well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, you tend to... I tend to focus on, like, minor moments that are like, oh, he went over there. That means they're in this. And you're like, he, he might have just been covering momentarily, and that's almost <laughs> certainly what happened. So, yes, generally, I'm willing to go with you. So, I, I, I think it's a four four two diamond, uh-huh. Debo and Bergstahl at the top. Weston McKenney as basically the number six at the base of the diamond. Um, and then the idea with having the diamond midfield is now, instead of being overrunning midfield and being able to play through midfield like Dortmund could in the first half, play through Schalke's midfield, you've essentially just got loads of Schalke numbers in midfield. 
mm-hmm. and that and, seems and it really... successful until what happens in the 48th minute, which is when there's too many numbers in midfield. This is where David Wagner must be really, really, really angry because they do come out, they make these changes we've talked about, and in the 47th minute, they get kind of good buildup. It leads to a decent, a decent shooting opportunity, I think, for Caligiuri, but it's one of the few moments we've seen Schalke sort of have sustained possession, create something that leads to a good attacking opportunity. Not a great attacking opportunity, but in that moment, I wrote in my notes like, oh, David Wagner may have figured this out. Like, if that's the sign of things to come, then maybe this is going to be a tighter game, maybe... And then they score, basically, and it's 3-0. <laughs> and that's almost certainly not what David Wagner wanted. Not that, like, you concede immediately, but that, like, this was, to me, about individual mistakes and vulnerabilities sort of throwing away that second half because the game plan was maybe going to work. Yeah. Can, can you picture the turnover moments for this, this third goal? Um, no. So it's, like, loads of numbers at the top of Dortmund's box. Um, I mean, Harit has a nice little turn to get away from someone. Gives it to Caligiuri, and Caligiuri tries this weird scoop pass, but scoops mm-hmm. it directly into Delaney. And Oops. then what happens is Delaney unleashes, you'll never guess who, Julian Brandt. No. Uh, <laughs> Brandt gives it to Haaland. Haaland gives it back to Brandt as he's being fouled by Sane. Do you remember that moment? He kind of stamps on his I foot. Yes. And then you've got bad. And then you've got Julian Brandt just casually, once again, rolling it into the path of Thorgan Hazard. And there you go. It's 3-0. But I think the big irony here is that like Wagner wanted numbers in the middle. He got numbers in the middle. And Dortmund just took the ball off them anyway and went and counterattacked. This was, this was also, I agree with that. I would also say this was a strange moment in terms of the lack of a crowd. Because you have to believe that this is a normal game. Like You're up 2-0, then you score right after halftime, and it seems like you've put the game away. The players would be going insane. You get massive crowd celebrations. And then only a few minutes later would we be like, oh, we haven't kicked off because Erling Holland's still down. Oh, wow, he got fouled afterward. Whereas because of the way things are, you basically have the goal scored, and they immediately go check on Holland. Yeah. And so we know kind of right away, and it goes from like, hey, we're 3-0 up to like, we're 3-0 up, but we need you to be okay, please be okay. Which was, again, a, a strange little moment, but one that I definitely enjoyed. We literally don't have any other strikers. <laughs> we let Paco Alcasa go, please be okay. Don't make a shocker, please. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add on the third goal? I feel like it really is that simple, just crowded numbers, counter-attack, Julian Brandt, perfect pass, Thorgan Hazard goal. Uh, just that it's a really great finish, and it's one of those... Oh, yeah. I equate it with, like, the... I think it was, was it Germany versus England in like 2014 or yeah, 2014, I think, where like that ball, uh, like roll, or maybe 2010, like the ball rolls across the top of the box and you just know like, oh, someone is going to arrive to smash that as hard as they can. Yeah. This is definitely going to be a goal. Anytime you have that moment and it's not the, your team that's about to concede, it's always kind of fun. And I appreciate Rafa Guerrero finishing it perfectly. Oh, this was Hazard. I'm pretty sure this is Thorgan Hazard scores this Oh, game. it is. You're right. You're right. Excuse me. Th- Thorgan Hazard with, with the bashed celebration yeah. that I enjoyed. Um, so yeah. are you thinking of the same finish or were you thinking of the Yes, I am. It's just they're all good finishes, <laughs> basically, in this game. They're all good dogs, Taylor. They're all yeah. good dogs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so that, actually, this finish confuses me because it seems to confuse Schubert as well, right? He kind mm-hmm. of leans towards it, but it just, yep. it just like whips past him. So what has Hazard done here? I'm not sure, uh, other than I think just maybe the way he strikes it. We did see a couple different times uh, in in both this game and I think other games that free kicks, that ball had very little movement, and I just wonder if maybe that match ball, a little bit Jabulani-esque, lends itself, <laughs> but also maybe the way the players are hitting it, it's it's generating a lot of knuckle, because you don't see a lot of rotation, you do see a lot of movement. But I think also, again, if you're Schubert, maybe you see the sort of, it's that like, 
uh, increasing oh no's of like, oh no, we turned the ball over. Oh no, they found space. Oh no, there's three on one. Oh no, that foul happened, but we're getting play on because they still have numbers. Like, and I think you kind of panic more and more and more. So you're probably less focused and in not as good of a position as you might be to handle that shot. But then it's just a well-taken finish as well. I'm going to say, uh, Sorgan Hazard, the best Hazard on the day. I mean, yeah, definitely. Best Hazard in the world today. <laughs> he is, right? He's the best brother. Yes. He's the best brother right now. <laughs> um, so fourth goal, the final yeah. goal, 63rd minute, is scored by Rafael Guerrero, his second of oh, the boy. day from left wing back. This yeah. is, unless I'm wrong, this is the outside of the foot surprise finish uh-huh. from Rafael Guerrero. But once again, it all starts oh, with some magic from Julian Brandt. So we were right. He does get involved in all four goals. Um, mm-hmm. So Haaland, not, like there's a longish ball. Haaland nods it down backwards to Julian Brandt. And Julian Hu- Brandt kind of embarrasses Weston McKinney. Do you remember this moment? Um, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm too focused on somebody else getting embarrassed that we're going to talk about in a second. All right. Well, I'm, I'm guessing sequentially yours comes after mine then, right? It does. Okay, mm-hmm. so Julian Brandt does this thing to Weston McKinney. It's like a Sergio Busquets trick where he opens up his hips as if he's going to play a through ball. Mm-hmm. And instead, he just like sweeps his foot across the ball, drags yes, it, yes, 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 drags it yeah. away and leaves Weston McKinney. I mean, he looks like he's just seen a magic trick and he's like, whoa, how'd you do that? Um, and <laughs> Julian Brandt is um, away and then he uh, dishes it out to, uh, to Rafael Guerrero on the left wing. He does, who seems, for all the world, like he's in an offside position. Do you know why he's not, Daryl Grove? No. Because John Joe Kenny is about five yards behind the rest of the line and has done that fatal mistake of realized at the exact wrong moment, oh no, I'm the one playing everybody on side. And he does the jump forward to close that gap as the ball is being played. And if you see, it's the very last replay of the goal. It's the one from like the camera behind the net. You can literally see as the ball's going in. John Chokeni jumps forward, and then you can see him turn in slow motion. And as he turns, he just has the like, oh no, gritted face. I'm like, oh, this is my fault. Like, it's it is an amazing moment if you can freeze frame it there. I'll try to grab a screen cap or something, yeah, but not, it just not, had me rolling. Not John Joe Kenny's best day, and this wasn't no. a great goal for anyone with Kenny in their name. Um, put it that way. Um, this does. We should give credit here to Erling Haaland as well. The the sequence of this goal is after that diagonal yeah. goes out to Guerrero. Guerrero. Mm-hmm drives and plays a really nice one-two with Erling Haaland, right? So it's Haaland that um, slips Guerrero in and where John Joe Kenny makes that mistake. So Julian Brandt won't get any credit for this, assist-wise. He just gets credit on the total soccer show. And and, and I'm glad he gets credit. I'm also glad we're giving Guerrero more credit than normal just because I think it's easy to focus in on Hakimi because he gets so forward and is so attacking and tries different stuff. He's all handsome and exciting, right? He is, but it's easy to overlook just how good Rafael Guerrero is and how important he is to the system because he's not doing quite the same thing as Hakimi, but the way he's able to get forward but be just so good on the ball, I think it's him who drives forward and then cuts it back that starts the movement that leads to the first goal. And I felt like not just because he gets forward and scores goals, but because he gets forward but has the technical technical ability to then play good possession soccer, uh, it's easy to forget how good he is because there's so much talent in this team. So I enjoyed Rafael Guerrero very much today. Same, 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 same. All right, 4 0. 4 0 to Dortmund. We do get a Jaden Sancho appearance. I've got to be honest, uh-huh. I switched over to Leipzig at this point, so I can't tell you anything about what Jaden Sancho did. Can you tell me anything about what Jaden Sancho did, Taylor? He looked maybe like he'd put on a pound, uh, but other than that, lo- looked fine. It was definitely the point in-, in the game where it was 4 0. I like stuck with this out of. 
I don't know, solidarity. I'm not sure why I didn't switch over, <laughs> but I definitely was not paying as much attention as I was when it was, say, nil nil or even three nil. At four nil, it felt like, okay, this game is done. Uh, there's not going to be any more Americans involved, so I'm just going to sit here and enjoy it, but maybe not take it in. So he seemed fine, but uh, nothing too impressive overall. So well done to yes. Borussia Dortmund. This, they really needed to, as we said in the preview, hit the ground running, and they really, really did. I'm going to say they're the best-looking team of the day in terms of uh, how they performed. Yeah. And they are, as we said... Um, one- ooh, may- maybe hurt to Berlin. But yes, of the teams that I saw, <laughs> I will say Dortmund for sure. Fair enough. Um, and so, yeah, they're now one point behind Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich mm-hmm. play tomorrow. But the title race is very much on. We, we, kind, of went on. Long. we kind of went long on the River yeah. Derby. <laughs> kind of, yeah. But give us a break. We've been waiting two months. Yeah, and I think we're going to do uh, the remaining games we're going to chat about uh, much... In much shorter time frame, uh, yeah. we're going to get to some other things. But if you are maybe anxious because we've gone so long, you're worried we're not going to talk about the team you like, then we have got a sponsor for you. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Sunday, so it was going to be perfect. It's not quite Sunday today, but uh, today's show is sponsored mm-hmm. by Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that are super consumable and easy to take on the go. They certainly are. And you can also take them, let's say, like, if you're at home on a Sunday after all the games are over and you're anxious because you're not going to have any more live soccer until the next weekend, (laughs) you can take your Sunday scaries and prepare for the week to come with just a little bit less anxiety because it helps you chill out. It helps you decompress, relax, keep your composure. Lots of other calming things is what CBD and specifically Sunday scaries will do for you. And if you're not familiar with CBD, it is, uh, there's no THC in it, right? So it is mm-hmm. just the, uh, just the relaxing component. Um, yes. so CBD, without, without the drugs test. Without yes. the drugs test. Yeah. Perfectly legal, right? You're not going to get in any trouble at all. Legal in all 50 states. Um, with CBD, you can just relax decompress and also weirdly concentrate i mean the thing i've found is remember i was doing scouting reports and it really helps me just uh not Mm -hmm. get distracted by things it helps me when i like i do have those moments especially when it's been so long that you have this like it's got to be extra good i've got to provide extra analysis and i did find myself like overly focused on everything that was happening and trying to take everything apart and it does like we, we know from the past that it can help you kind of calm down and focus in on those little things so you're not focusing on everything and thus focusing on nothing <laughs> that's a really good way of putting it <laughs> <laughs> i try i try sunday scaries have also launched cabin scaries to promote mm-hmm. social distancing and responsible isolation a portion of sales will be donated to beap the bartender emergency assistance program to help displaced hospitality workers a lot of bartenders out of work right now indeed so if you'd like to help them or uh check out what sunday scaries have you can get 25 percent off your first order with the code soccer at sundayscaries.com that's 25 percent off your first order at sundayscaries.com enter code soccer where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page find out what product might be best for you go to sundayscaries.com and use code soccer thank you to sunday scaries for sponsoring today's show all right, and thank you to Leipzig and Freiburg for being the next game we're going to talk about. Uh, a very fun game, uh, despite it finishing 1-1. to uh, Leipzig dropped some points. But, Daryl, I-, I had fun with this one, uh, mostly because I know nothing about Freiburg, so it was enjoyable to uh, watch them and hang out with them for a little bit of time. So, yeah, I mean, Freiburg, I don't know where they're on the table right now. They were 8th. They are now 7th. They're now 7th, and... I would not have guessed that because they're not a traditionally big team, right? They used to be like a relegation fodder 
kind of team. So before we talk about Tyler Adams, who did start mm-hmm. for RB Leipzig, and there's plenty to say about his positioning and his performance and all that kind of stuff, what did you see Freiburg doing, which I assume is what they've been doing for the whole season, to be competitive against a team like RB Leipzig, who were going into this third in the table? So we did have them in a, in a back three, another kind of three four two one. The thing that I thought was was really interesting that I saw them do time and time again is when they would try to build out of the back, they would move it between those three center backs. They would have the kind of two midfielders holding back. Sometimes the wing backs would drop in. Sometimes they would stay high. And if they didn't stay high, one of the more attacking players would then sort of drop into space, maybe 40 yards from their own goal, but out wide. And the reason why I'm being so specific with this is because we know Leipzig are going to press. We know they're going to kind of go at you, try to cause you problems. And what I felt like Freiburg were doing almost as a tactic was sort of waiting for Leipzig to collapse and send those numbers forward. And then they would have one of those people run into that space on the wing and play a ball over the top to them. And it was almost like inviting the press to then have that outlet, which was consistently and routinely on, especially in the first half. And then they're able to break and sort of invite the pressure, invite those numbers forward, and then focus when Leipzig are kind of caught in that transition. And I haven't seen many teams catch Leipzig that way. So to me, that stood out as being a really kind of smart outlet that was consistently there. I'd also argue that they never overcommitted to that counterattack. Because that's nope. always the danger, right? The counter to mm-hmm. the counter. If you commit to the counterattack and send numbers forward... If Leipzig get that ball back, Timo Werner's running in behind or Nkunku's running in behind. You are definitely in trouble. Freiburg were very smart about never opening themselves up too much. And even when Leipzig had the ball and they were building, I saw Freiburg back in a nice, tight, compact 5-4-1 with very little space to to do anything. Yep, yep. Yeah, exactly. And, And I do think that that set them up for a smart good defensive game plan that did provide them uh, attacking opportunities. They do get the goal, obviously. But I also think that it sort of was there for the taking, similar to what we talked about with Schalke a little bit, that like if you're a team that has the momentum and has the sort of calmness to find a way through, you can do that. And it felt like Leipzig... If they play this game next week, I think they win this game 3-1, is my feeling. But it, it, the the way that Leipzig went about pressing routinely in the first half, we could see uh, Werner turning and kind of waving for people to come forward because they're kind of kept getting this disconnect, they're kept being that space, and that's where Freiburg kept playing that outlet ball. Yeah. And I think because we didn't have Leipzig sort of maybe as defensively ready or as defensively like synced up as we've seen them before, I think that explained a huge part of why Leipzig couldn't get anything going because if your whole game plan is sort of press to win that ball back in an advantageous position and then sort of counter or find opportunities, if you don't have the people in the right spots defensively, even when you win the ball back, you don't have the natural options that you're going to have. And I think that explains why they're so slow on the ball, why we hear Nagelsmann yelling about that and why you see sort of the frustration with the lack of ball movement. I think because you don't have them in the exact spots they need to be to sort of engage the system. Yeah, Nagelsmann was yelling, ball speed, ball speed, like move, yes. basically yes. move the ball faster, move the ball faster, right? And one of the other ways I interpreted that is that normally what you see Leipzig do is get that ball forward quickly, and then if you lose it, you gather around it and win it back high, mm-hmm. right? But I yeah. saw Leipzig be a lot slower and more conservative mm-hmm. in their build-up than I've than I've seen them this season. Yeah. That's what it seemed to me. I, I, they just didn't quite have the zip, zip, zip that they normally have. It was a little more... Tyler Adams, especially, would often just pass it backwards to a centre-back. Mm-hmm. Um, when before, I think he would have tried to beat a guy and charge forward and feed it into like Paulson to try and lay off. 
And and I think that comes from a place of like not having the confidence in in the game plan. And I'm not saying like that means Nagelsmann failed or anything like that. It's just that if you know I'm going to get this ball, if you're Tyler Adams, I'm receiving this ball wide, but I can drive down the line and I know there's going to be kind of a support run that I'll have there. Or if I know this person's going to be here, if you know everybody's in the place they need to be, then you maybe are going to feel a little bit confident with what's being asked of you. But if you look 15 yards up the field to where you're supposed to have an outlet and that person is instead 20 yards away, you're probably going to cut back. And I felt like that kind of the automation of the way Leipzig attack wasn't quite automated enough. It was a little bit manual today. And I think once they kind of get another week under their belt, I do think they're going to destroy Mites, who I think they play next. Can we talk about Tyler Adams positioning them? Sure. Um, so I would say it's that weird position that he's been playing where he's mm-hmm. when they're all the way back defensively, he is a right back in a back five. As they go forward, he's kind of like a right wing back um, drifting infield as like the right side of a midfield diamond. But the really interesting thing to me is because RB Leipzig like to get numbers so centrally, um, if the ball's on the right and they're attacking, he can pull wide right. If the ball's on the left, he does, we say Angelino, right? Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't provide width outright. He comes in field and is an extra, an extra central guy. And there's literally yeah. no player wide right. It's a really odd right. Leipzig tactic. It is, because then you expect it to be like, okay, like Nkunku is going to swap, and he'll be boots on the touchline to give you that outlet, or Timo Werner will then stay wider. And yeah, as you said, they don't really it's do that. So it play. almost it's, it's because, it invites that whole side. Yeah, it's because it's their game plan, we talked about this when they played Spurs, right? Their game right. plan is feed the ball into the middle. If we lose it, like if it bounces off Poulsen or like Werner like gets mm-hmm. tackled, then we have numerical superiority and we win it back. And that, that works, but you have to, to do that, you have to sacrifice the width on one side of the field. And I would almost say that if they could run this game again, because like you said, the whole thing is not clicking at the speed it's supposed to be clicking, maybe mm-hmm. it would have been better to go back to something just more traditional soccer where you have two wingers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think so, but it might also just be the case that Nagelsmann is okay with that, like okay with a one-to-one draw, if it means that everybody's kind of getting back up to speed and remembering how to do it. But it does feel like then you're going to have that problem and that vulnerability basically every time. So I'm surprised they didn't change it up more. That said, like you mentioned, if it bounces off Paulson, it felt like today that was a when it bounces <laughs> off whatever kind of forward player it was played into. And it, it reminded me of when, you, you know when like a video will lag for a moment and then it goes way too fast to catch up? Yeah. That sort of was the Leipzig attack on occasion. It was like, speed up really fast and play the ball in and like one touch it and hit it as hard as you can. Like they did have shooting opportunities. There's the, the great one for Adam Ola-Lukman before he gets up there at halftime that he... No, Lukman comes in at halftime. Oh, excuse me, other way around. Yeah, he comes in. There's the great one looped in for him that he absolutely should have finished. Should. It's lifted, and then he's in there, and he insteps it, and it goes wide. But it, it just has that, like, oh, you guys aren't in your normal rhythm. So whereas normally he would, like, be making the exact right run at the exact right time and take that ball the exact right way, just being a little bit off means you're going to put it wide. And it felt like Leipzig sort of shot themselves in the foot a number of different ways, one of which was definitely their finishing or lack thereof. I've got one more tactical point to make um, about Please. Leipzig. Um, much like Wagner, um, because RB Leipzig are 1-0 down at half time. we can maybe talk about Freiburg's goal if you want, but there's not much to it. Um, because they're 1-0 down at half time. he does make a tactical change, right? He brings out mm-hmm. Mukiele, the right yep. centre-back from the back three, brings in the aforementioned Adamola Lukman. Yep. Tyler Adams then becomes essentially a traditional right-back 
and I think they're playing the classic um, energy drink four two two two, right? <laughs> but it's just a different version yeah. of having loads of numbers in the centre. Mm-hmm. They never yep. ever decide. Okay, we're going to go for some width. And I guess yep. I mean I'm essentially preaching for Nagelsmann to adjust his entire philosophy. I'm sure Nagelsmann would say back. Well, this is what we do. This is what we're working on. I'm not going to abandon it for half a match just to please you, Daryl. But I I would say back to him in this imaginary conversation that I'm having, well, you dropped two points and you were third and now you're fourth. You were in the title race. Now you're probably battling Borussia Mönchengladbach for the Champions League spots. Why are you so antagonistic towards Julian Nagelsmann? I don't understand. Because he can't answer back. Okay, that makes (laughs) sense. It's an easy, easy argument to win when I can make his side of the argument as well. That, yeah, that does help with the arguing. Uh, as long as you're grilling him, will you ask him why he went with the uh, fashion choices he went with today? I think because he's a, a Nike-sponsored uh, coach. Oh, you think? <laughs> you think so? Was it the white shirt with the giant red Nike uh, logo on the front, or was it the bright red Nike shoes that he wore? Yeah, was he wearing like the original Air Jordans? Uh, he, he was wearing something. He made some choices. <laughs> it felt like he was maybe still not entirely sure that he was allowed to get off the couch and go coach a game. Maybe it's like he's because he's over thirty now, right? He's like thirty two or so. No, maybe mm-hmm. maybe he's starting to feel it and he wants to uh, he wants to prove he's still young. So he's dressing young. <laughs> maybe maybe he's just really frustrated and refuses to uh, to dress up the way maybe a child would if they didn't feel like they were be- <laughs> being taken seriously at a formal event. Because I do think like. I stand by my sort of my my feeling in our uh, like return to action pre- preview that maybe Leipzig were going to be a team that suffered because of this this gap. But I think I was wrong in what I thought would be the kind of consequence of that. I was assuming it would be you have this system, you want everybody functioning at the exact same level, at like you've got that fitness concern, and so if they're a little bit out of it, if they don't have that consistency, maybe they're going to struggle. What I saw today was basically a Leipzig team that had. Plenty of fitness. They clearly have been doing all the fitness they needed, all the players. They're still plenty in shape. They can do all the running they need to. I think it's just that little lack of sharpness because they haven't had the training yeah. time. So to I mean, your ball point, speed, right? Ball speed. Yeah, he's not wrong. Exactly. Yeah, he's just, I don't yeah, think no. you can make it happen by yelling it. I think it takes time. No, I don't think you can. Yeah, and so I think that they will you know, just tighten up and, and they won't snatch at some of those chances and they will slow it down, but then they will speed it up when they need to. And, and I expect Leipzig to like, fin- finish the season fine. I don't know if they necessarily challenge for the title. But I think the last thing I wanted to say about Leipzig specifically was just that this feels sort of like, it really does feel like an un- unfair situation for them because they seem like a team that were built on we get up to speed, we kind of get everybody into the system, ideally during preseason, but around the start of the season, they're probably going to drop some points as they have new people figuring it out. But they're sort of that, like, start slow, get warmed up, and then you really are just a machine because everybody knows the system. And they effectively had to turn the machine off for like a month and a half and then restart it. And so they're kind of, I think, going back to some of that early season, like, uh, lack of just sort of overall technical precision that I think they'll figure out, but it may end up uh, happening too late. Uh, Let's quickly talk about the goals. So, Sure. Freiburg's goal in the 34th minute was one very much against the run of play. Um, I think Leipzig, mm-hmm. even though Freiburg were frustrating them, Leipzig were having the better of it. But it's a corner kick that comes in, and mm-hmm. Manuel Golda basically accidentally hits it with his trailing leg. Right? It is. Yeah, I think he's just trying to flick it on, yeah. and then even then gets fortunate that he still makes contact somehow. Yeah. So it's not great defending. I would argue um, Nkunku at the very near post, like his first mm-hmm. man, and Mukiele both kind of do a a weird lose type thing where they do the straight arms by the sides and just jump straight up without really attacking the ball. And that's what like makes it possible for Manuel Golda to this, but it's a very fortunate goal. Um, and yes. then the equalizer, it's after Tyler Adams comes off, right? So Tyler Adams comes off 
um, and they bring in uh, Sabitzer. Lamo goes and plays right back, still in the same 4-2-2-2 shape, just without Tyler Adams. Um, it's a cross from the left from Campbell, central midfielder, to mm. the head of the very, very, very tall Paulson, who gets his head to <laughs> it, makes it 1-1. And I like that Kempo had uh, fed in Paulson a couple times in this game. And it, like one is directly into feet, he misses it. One is kind of like a chipped ball in that bounces and he takes on the volley. And I like that he just got higher up the body until eventually <laughs> he found the head and Paulson put He's it in. He's just looking for the sweet spot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then the, the final thing I want to talk about just is, um, sure. is Tyler Adams. Because oh, I think... I have a thing to say about him. Okay, well, let me say this. I, you, no, no, you go first. Mine is not what yours is, I promise. I think we're seeing Tyler Adams' position is going to be this right yep. back drifting into central midfield like hybrid position it's not the same as what greg berhalter had planned because that was very much an actual positional switch right mm-hmm. um it's it's a little bit different to that because he's not as central to the central midfield as he would have been in the berhalter plan but i think our dream of uh tyler adams playing central midfield it just might not happen while they have Lema and Campbell and then Sabitzer coming off the bench mm-hmm. we might have to just enjoy tyler adams playing right back slash right side of a midfield diamond for the rest of the season. Again, I'm okay with it. I've seen him do it way more effectively than he than he did today. Um, and the final thing I want to say is, again, he wasn't bad today. I, th- I think he just played safe mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll double down on that and just say that, like, yeah, Tyler Adams playing central midfield is better than Tyler Adams playing right back for Leipzig, but Tyler Adams playing any position for Leipzig is better than Tyler Adams on the bench. So I'll take that, and then it's worth remembering that from there, like, Berhalter, that doesn't mean Berhalter is going to use him necessarily any differently. It doesn't mean, like, because Leipzig have him as a right back, now he's a right back for the national team. So even for the national team, we still may get him playing central, but uh, for Leipzig, I just want yeah. him on the field, because on the field means he's playing better. I guess what we're talking about as well, it's worth mentioning that we have no idea what's going to happen with international soccer. Like I've, no. I've already heard the president of CONCACAF, his name is mm-hmm. Montaliani, the Canadian, mm-hmm. saying yep. he thinks we might not be able to do the hex because there might not be enough match days. We might have to reformat the way that we do World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF. All of international football is, is up in the air. So I guess current form of national team players is probably mm-hmm. not something we should be super concerned about. No. I, I, w- I wouldn't be. What I am concerned about is, did you know that Leipzig had signed another American who started in this game? Actually, I guess it's an Englishman who started in this game. Who's that then? Well, we had Tyler Adams playing. Did you know that we also had Tony Adams playing? I did hear him call Tony Adams as he subbed out. I only heard one reference, it though. Was, like, people were talking on Twitter as if that he'd been called Tony Adams every single time. It's it's the whole second half. Is it I really? watched that as well, and I was so confused because I was like, I, I feel like this is a thing. Like for a moment, I was like, did one person tweet this and nobody has seen this game yet? So we're all just sort of, uh, yeah, creating that or keeping it going. But no, in the first half, he's Tyler Adams. The second half, until he subbed out, it's Tony Adams, which was... Uh, it, it, it did feel like maybe the commentator had sort of been trying to not make that mistake. And yeah. then once he made the mistake, it just became Tony Adams. But so for, that for was younger, not my biggest gripe. For younger soccer fans, it's worth pointing yeah. out, Tony Adams is mm-hmm. a very famous Arsenal and England centre-back who played for both for a very long time, right? He was captain of both at one point. Um, the comment, that commentator, he was definitely an English commentator yeah. who's older than me and i'm old enough to remember tony adams so i'm guessing that was just that was in his head the whole time and i bet he was thinking don't say it don't say it don't say it kind of like the brad davis brad evans thing don't get them confused don't Mm -hmm. get them confused and he just at some point forgot to keep reminding himself not to say it i had one of those when we were doing richmond kickers commentary where no matter what i did i always flipped it and it became that like the flipped one was the one i thought was 
like was it Fred or Wusha correct- Shakiri? No, it wasn't that. It was somebody else. Like I would swap a player. Like it was, I was one of the Brazilians, I think, where it was like, or was it I can't Samuel remember Asante his name. And you would say Asante Samuel. Yes, Asante Samuel. Yeah, that's what happened every single time. And it becomes that thing where like you then remember the wrong one as the right one. So you're like, oh, it's not Samuel Asante. I'm not going to make that mistake again. It's def- <laughs> and then there we are. Um, but that was not my biggest gripe, or at least not like the only gripe I had with the commentary. Oh, is this? Are we entering a Tyler Tyler's commentator rants? We are, All right, and, 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 it, and it is informed by my relationship with Daryl Grove, Uh-oh. because Daryl, um, when we were doing that kicker's commentary, the aforementioned, I was the color commentator, if you missed it, Daryl was the play-by-play. Daryl would, uh, surprisingly, I would kind of go off on tangents. Daryl would always do a good job, sometimes prematurely, but generally it was the correct decision to sort of cut me off when something exciting was happening. I would just put one finger um, on your lips. <laughs> or, or you'd just be like, we'll get back to that in a moment. <laughs> i, I got to talk about the goal that's about to happen. And that was useful because if you're listening in that situation if you're like on a youtube feed you might not be able to hear the crowd noise but you're listening to the commentators who are telling you what's happening and if they're just kind of talking about whatever you're not aware of what's going on and i saw so many people tweeting or or, or like making the point that they missed goals or would walk out of the room and didn't know what was happening because you don't have the crowd noise the crowd doesn't roar so you know something big is going on and you run back in but you have them just sort of going on about whatever, and then like the uh, Adam Lookman one that I was talking about earlier, the commentator only after the ball goes wide is he like, oh, that could have been a chance. But in the moment, if, you, if they're in on it, if they're really focused on the play-by-play and what's happening, they can tell you, like, oh, he's in! And then you're kind of running back in and really focusing in. But if it's like, oh, he missed his chance, like, you're not even going to look up from your phone if you've made the mistake of looking at your phone. Don't watch the games with your phone in your hand. That helps with that. Yeah. But the, uh, the, Gu- just, the Guerrero it, goal um, in the Dortmund mm-hmm. game, the first yeah. Guerrero goal, I think they were talking about one of the World Feed co-commentators was joking about mm-hmm. um, applying to be a ball boy. And he was yes, like in the middle yes. of that conversation, and the ball just like hit the back of the net, and went, oh, yeah. a goal for Guerrero! Exactly, and it, and and it's it's it was frustrating to me that it didn't feel like anybody. It kind of it felt like they kind of assumed like business as usual, even though we're calling from a monitor, even though we're calling at home, and and googling as we do this because you can hear them typing on their microphones, which is another thing. Uh, it, it just it. It didn't seem like any any production meeting had happened to say like, "Hey, we're not going to have crowd noise. You guys got to amp it up. You got to be more sort of radio commentators almost, or kind of fill that silence because that silence is sort of weird. And if you're not talking about what's happening in the game, it does make you feel more connected. It's actively the case. It's not even distracting the way sometimes commentary is, or like you hear it and you kind of don't agree. There were moments where if you're focused on the commentary you're not really able to focus what's going on in the game because they're not talking about it. And I think with closed doors, you can't really afford that. So here's what I do. I want to I share this like, mm-hmm. with you and with everybody. Um, it makes me a little crazy. It makes me sound crazy, maybe. Um, but it really, really works for me. I basically don't trust commentators to have a good mm-hmm. sense of when, when to draw my attention to the game. Um, I also don't think they're going to fix this between this week and next week. Oh, you don't? <laughs> um, what I, I tend to do is either mute the commentary um, or just kind of zone them out and basically do a running commentary in my own head of what's happening because yeah. that really helps you stay focused on the game. It helps you like zero in on exactly what you're watching. It helps give you a sense of the game because you can observe the commentary in your own head. It's almost like meditating, right? You observe your own thoughts mm-hmm. and then you see, oh, they keep going up the right side because I keep saying that in my head. <laughs> I don't know this makes me sound a little wacky, but it, 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 really, no, it, doesn't. it and- really helps me focus in and I don't have to worry about what the commentators are saying. 
And as I said, Daryl was the play-by-play uh, commentator. I did the color. We did try it a couple times switching it. And a thing that I kept doing, which I would agree with everything you said, and then I would caution people against this. What I would do is say, like, oh, Leipzig recover the ball. Leipzig on the ball now. Leipzig with good possession, moving the ball forward. Oh, Leipzig have a chance. I would never say player names. And as long as you're just saying the team name, it kind of removes some of that analysis. Whereas a point you made and you're very good at, and I think does make a difference, is if you're going to do that and kind of narrate for yourself, know the players. Say their names. Because yeah. as soon as you start repeating... Suddenly you're like, oh, Tony Adams, not Tyler Adams, obviously, Tony Adams is like, he's on the ball a lot more than I thought he was. Or uh, like, yeah, Paulson. Oh, I keep saying saying his name and it seems to be when he's like dropping in. I'm not used to him. Like it helps you sort of get those patterns by saying the names as opposed to just like Leipzig on the ball. Leipzig lose the yeah. ball. Leipzig get the ball back. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of like my Tyler Adams in my head, it was like Tyler mm-hmm. Adams looks down the line, cuts back, uh, gives it to McGaley. Yeah. Right. Because that was kind of that was kind of what was happening a lot. And you do spot the patterns. Yeah. Uh, that way if you're doing it i'd also say get your phone out and just have the lineups on your phone mm-hmm. um don't be on twitter don't answer text you can just look at the lineups on your phone and then they'll definitely uh be there for reference i i, I would say normally it's just good advice not to be on your phone during a game especially on twitter but especially so these times because with no fans with no crowd noise and with the commentators not necessarily focusing on that it's really easy to think you're watching a game and not be watching it at yeah. all yeah Oh, and what do you think of um, Alexi Lalas uh, tweeted mm-hmm. this a while ago? He suggested that they should um, have someone on the production staff creating crowd noise, like fake crowd noise that's but uh, responding to what is going on on the field to recreate that experience for the viewer. Uh I mean, I get why that would be appealing. I I, I don't like that uh, because it's it's it, that is like definitively artificial. Whereas right now, like you have people already saying like, oh, without the crowds, it's not real. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel genuine when you are literally putting an artificial crowd noise, which I think might be illegal as well because I think you can't create artificial noise. Uh, On then, the broadcast, not within the stadium. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I think it's just it's still a little bit too much for me. I would rather have more broadcasters even if I, I don't mean like get, let's get 400 people in that stadium to make some noise just that like i'd rather have them being able to like cut to people for analysis or cut to uh, a, a former official to talk about what's happening yeah. or just kind of get other people involved who are giving you information and helping kind of keep it punchy as opposed to two people just talking for two hours <laughs> fair enough fair enough maybe just one person talking might be the better way because then they can't get honestly yes. aimless aimless uh conversations yeah there was one in the leipzig game i think where the color commentator like the the lead commentator asked a question and the color commentator got so stuck on it that it ended with him being like i'll 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 mercy like i'll be merciful and say it's this guy anyway let's move on <laughs> like it was really really distracting uh it's also probably distracting that we said we were going to be faster talking about the second round of games and then i've left us on the number two game so, when we still have more to discuss yeah well let's talk about the uh, the game that was televised at twelve thirty. 30 eintracht frankfurt hosting borussia Gladbach. It finished 3-1 to Gladbach, but it was all over after 36 seconds. It really yeah. was. <laughs> gone, in thir- I mean, gone in 36 seconds is what this was. Yes, and then, and then uh, another one in the seventh minute meant 2-0 after seven yeah. minutes. That game sort of fully out of control for Eintracht Frankfurt, who I guess I haven't been keeping up with them, are themselves sort of out of control because when we saw them, they were destroying Bayern Munich and... It felt like, oh, yeah, these dudes are going to be back. Maybe not in the Champions League, but they'll, they'll be back in Europa League. They're a strong team. They've got young talent coming through. And instead, they are 13th, 28 points. They're, I think, like five points clear of 16th place. 
So they're Ooh. fine. Like, I doubt they're really in any relegation trouble. But this did feel like a game in which you had one team who are theoretically challenging for the title and another team who are maybe in relegation threat, but not really, but not going to challenge for the title. And so, like, coming back is a bit more like returning from spring break <laughs> than, say, heading back into a title challenge. So for Borussia Mönchengladbach, it was 36 seconds before they made it 1-0. Oh, boy. It was player with mm-hmm. an interesting, like, sliding shot slash Not slash what he meant cross. to do. <laughs> do you yeah. think he was looking for Taram at the far post? Uh, if not, then he wasn't looking to, like, slot that ball in at the far post the way he did. Yeah, All I think right. that was probably meant to be a through ball. And if it was a shot, he has one later on that he puts near post and maybe wide. I think he was trying to get more power behind it and just kind of scuff yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, so there's a nice little one-two in the build-up to it. Sort of slow motion-ish, right? Player plays it into Neuhaus, who plays it back to player, who then has that weird moment where he scores. The fact that they were able to do this so slowly does not speak well of Eintracht Frankfurt's defending. No. <laughs> what defending? Yeah. It was a lot of... It yeah. was a bit cone-like, wasn't it? Yeah, it really uh, – and I did see maybe Manuel Fates uh, tweeting that, like, that is a very intimidating ground, and it's super-duper loud. We've been there, as I said. Like, his argument was maybe they are a team that sort of need that crowd to motivate, and without it, it is sort of no longer that home field advantage. And I do wonder if maybe we saw that, that they didn't have that big sort of booming atmosphere to get them up for it, and so they start sluggish. And when you start sluggish against a team who have a lot of creative attackers who can score goals and punish you, you they do just that very quickly. Well, let's talk about uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach then, because they are, sure. um, I think you said, they're one of the most exciting teams um, in the Bundesliga. Uh, we yeah. talked about player, I think it's an exciting player. Marcus mm-hmm. Turam is, uh, so Lillian Turam's son is the thing that son that is the mm-hmm. thing everyone says about him, but he's just a, like a really lively player to watch in his own right, right? He doesn't need mm-hmm. the lineage for him to stand out. No, he does not. Um, and, and, and certainly doesn't because he stands out on his own, uh, both because he's tall and physical and very good. Uh, I, loved his, I loved his celebration for the second goal. Uh, I tweeted that he really tries to respect social distancing. He basically like, runs back and forth and does air high fives. But then I think in the end, uh, kisses Ben Sabaney on the <laughs> cheek. So, yeah, that fell through. But I thought he, he kind of has the combination of uh, technique and is very good in front of goal, tends to have a, a lot of calmness, but then has the physicality that you need and can obviously be, punish you with pace. And so feels like an all-around striker that is going to be bought uh, for a lot of money in the very near future. But for now, uh, Gladbach have him. They have Briel Embolo, uh, who we've talked about many times, yeah. both because he's in the scouting network and because he's a former Schalke attacker. They could probably use him now. So they've got youngsters, uh, including uh, 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 Newhouse as well, their third kind of young player on there. But the big youngster that I think we should probably talk about, or at least youngster in terms of his experience, would be Gladbach. Uh, his, it would be Marco Rosa, excuse me, at Gladbach. His first season there he's doing just fine he certainly is how old is he uh i I think he's like i shouldn't say young in the sense that he's like uh nagelsman but i think he's 40s like early 40s okay yeah because he got the i'm counting that as young got the gray hair right so it's not like he's uh, he does not like he's a spring chicken um i'm i'm confident saying that he is not past mid 40s 43 there we go. Marco I stand Rose. by it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned uh, Brill Embolo. Um, I didn't mm-hmm. mention him in the build-up to that that first goal after 36 seconds. It is Embolo that's come deep and basically mm-hmm. won the ball in midfield and uh, plays it forward uh, for player. I feel like Brill Embolo has uh, matured into a much stronger player than I remember at Schalke and a much more mobile player. He seemed to be all mm-hmm. over the place for Gladbach. I don't know if that's just maybe Gladbach style. I'm not as familiar with them as you are because you've been watching them for Weekend Review. This is kind of one of my mm-hmm. uh, few exposures to Borussia Mönchengladbach. 
Well, do you remember where Rosa comes from? Yeah, uh, Abby Salzberg, right? Right. So he has that same level of like background in mind when he comes into this team. And it feels like Rosa has sort of blended that RB background with maybe a little bit of Klopp's Liverpool, just because I'm with you that Embolo, I don't feel like we ever saw him do what he does for Gladbach when he was playing for Schalke, whereas now... It's more Roberto Firmino, in my mind, at least on occasion, where we see him dropping in and moving out wide and opening up space for other people to occupy. Uh, It it felt like a more sort of comprehensive game from Briel Embolo, aside from, like, be fast and score goals and we'll kick the ball long to you, which sort of is what it came down to at Schalke. Yeah, that's kind of what they're asking of, and he wasn't quite up to it, not least because he was a young guy, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to talk about the uh, the Marcus Turam goal um, for a second. It's the seventh minute goal. Mm-hmm. This is where it's really, really over, right? Um, yeah. I is Marco Rosa known as like a positional play kind of guy? I believe so. Because yeah. this was, you know, I did that soccer one one recently about positional play, and one of the big quotes is like, "You tempt everybody to one side of the field, and then you mm-hmm. switch it to the other side." That yeah. is exactly what happens on this this seventh minute goal. Um, it's Ginter is uh, the centre back. He's on the right side. Um, all of Frankfurt are drifting over his way and he just hits this that massive switch over to Bentebaini and that's why the left back Bentebaini is able to have all that space yep. to, to dribble down the left um, and go at I can't remember who the defender is that he goes at but he absolutely murders him is it Torre? It is Torre. Torre got murdered a couple yes. times in this game. And he does him twice, right? He does one with like a weird pectoral move. Um, yep. Then he croifs, I think, back the other way and leaves Torre spinning. And then he zips that ball across the across the box for Marcus Turam. But that was like definitive positional play with this goal. Yes. Yeah. And really just sort of what you can expect from Gladbach of can play good possession soccer, can also just lightning fast hit you on the break and cause you all sorts of problems. So this was a good example of why Gladbach are a fun team to watch, but maybe also why Eintracht Frankfurt, a team that I have enjoyed watching, maybe are going to have a rough end of the season. Again, I don't think they slip into relegation territory, but like they I'm with you that uh, like Gladbach were able to do what they wanted to do have like like good plays that set up the goal. I'm not trying to take away what they did, but it certainly wasn't the case that Frankfurt were like locked down defending and somehow exploited. Mm-hmm. They were definitely pretty slow and a little bit lackadaisical in those opening minutes. Uh, quick Americans mentioned Fabian Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, but he was not involved for Gladbach today. I don't know if he's fit or not. Injury, apparently. Okay. Timmy Chandler came on late uh, for mm-hmm. Frankfurt and played like uh, right back, right mid kind of position. Didn't have yep. a major impact. Uh, Non-American um, Dennis, Dennis, yeah, Dennis Zakaria didn't play for Gladbach. He had some surgery, I think, when the coronavirus thing started. So we may mm-hmm. not see Zakaria, uh, but I don't think it's going to stop Gladbach based on what we saw today. <laughs> no, no, we, I, I, w- I wouldn't say so. Should we talk? Oh, so they, they've gone up to third. They move ahead of mm-hmm. Leipzig. Gladbach are now third in the table. Um, should we move to quickly talk about John Brooks? Yes. John Brooks played for Wolfsburg, which itself is kind of a good thing because there, were, there mm-hmm. was that story that he'd fallen out with the Wolfsburg coach, right? So there was a chance yeah. that maybe John Brooks didn't even get to play for Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg won, right? They had a 91st minute winner, but John Brooks scored an own goal for Augsburg. Yes, and that... And that wasn't the end of the bad day for him. But yes, it's the own goal that is definitely going to get some headlines and some raised eyebrows, especially from American fans. Again, not the worst day, since he at least was on the field and they did win. Uh, But 
it's it's the own goal, and then uh, later on, it seems as though basically the game is going to be put beyond doubt because Augsburg get uh, the go-ahead goal. I think that would have made it 2-0. It might have made it 2-1 at that point. Uh, yeah, it would have made it 2-1, obviously. But then it basically is called back because of offside, but it's John Brooks completely losing his marker again. Both of these goals, or both of these moments come from him sort of switching off on a set-piece defense. In one, he scores an own goal, and the other one, he lets his man score, but then there's a player offside and that's why that goal doesn't count i have a question then so with the sure. with the own goal why would why do you say he loses his man because john brooks actually the reason he scores the own goal is because he gets to the ball first but just it comes mm-hmm. off his head at a weird angle and instead of being cleared goes you know past his own keeper so but he beats his man to the ball from behind that that's the bigger thing to me is that it's not as though he's like got himself into the better position to then jump and win that header and put it the other way at best in that situation he's putting it over the goal and it's because the person who I'm assuming he's supposed to be marking from what I saw it didn't seem like it was kind of dropped coverage or he had to pick up for somebody else it feels like the player he's marking just makes that interior run he doesn't stay with them long enough or doesn't kind of knock them off their run so they're able to get in front of him so he has to try to win that header over the attacker uh, and when he's not able to win it cleanly that's when uh, okay. they're able to score. So they're like losing him is the reason he's in a bad position yes. and why he scores the own goal. I do have an exciting yeah. update for you though, Taylor. Mm-hmm. You know, as Brooks scores the own goal, I think it either yeah. hits the bar or something and mm-hmm. comes down. And then Tin Yedvai, former member yeah. of the Total Soccer Scouting Network, um, uh, bundles it over the line. The update from Bundesliga.com, mm-hmm. that goal is yeah. now credited to Tin Yedvai. So we can, down, yeah, think- we can downgrade, <laughs> it, downgrade it Sorry, from a John Brooks own goal to an own assist. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure uh, his manager is going to care all that much. I feel like Oliver Glasner is probably, even if it's not officially an own goal, going to wonder about his center back's marking, especially because uh, then is essentially for that second goal that is uh, disallowed uh, in the end, he is almost afraid to try to do the same thing and kind of loses positioning again, or at least isn't goal side, and thus his mark is able to win the header again. Yeah. I'm going to guess the coach is probably going to do some work on uh, defensive set piece work right. in, the, uh, in the ensuing week. But- a hundred years from now, when we look back at the record books, it will say no Tin Yedvai, 54th minute. <laughs> so there's that. So there's that, at least. Um, there we go. That's if good. you want a positive from this game, it's not a John Brooks positive, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, take a look at the 91st minute winner for Wolfsburg. Yeah. It is scored by Daniel Ginjek, but the assist mm-hmm. is something to behold. Have you, have you seen this? Um, it's the right back for Wolfsburg, um, Mbabu. Mm-hmm. He does the yep. old put the ball one side, run around the other it's side the move uh, it's the to best. beat the fullback before he crosses to Ginjek. It is absolutely worth seeking out because I love that move because it's so hard to pull off. It really is. You got to be fast and you got to be confident. And even then, you've got to kind of hope the person's not running in the right way at the yeah. right time or you're not going to do it and you're going to look foolish. You've got to trick them as well, right? You've got to trick them mm-hmm. into chasing you instead of the ball. Otherwise, you're just passing the ball to one side and running away from it and giving up possession. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> He didn't do that. He got an assist instead. So well done we go. to um, Babu. All right, Tyler, I did not see the Hertha Berlin game. Did you see it? Did you, did you have anything you wanted to say about no. it? No, I, did, I didn't see it either. I just saw that it was a 3-0 win for Hertha, I believe, on the road, which is not the way I expected them to kind of resume play. So just from a standpoint of they scored three goals, uh, did not allow any, and probably had a strong performance overall. I'm going to say they are number two on the weekend. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Then, As of Saturday. We have more games to come, don't we? We do. So on Sunday morning, US time, 9.30 Eastern, we've got FC Colm versus Mainz. That's a 9.30 mm-hmm. a.m. Eastern kickoff. Then in the, a- in the afternoon, Juggernauts, the both of them. at noon, we've got Union Berlin hosting Bayern Munich. 
That's the yeah. big title race game, right? Essentially, if you're, a, if you're any of the Borussia fans, um, you want to tune into that game and hope that Union Berlin can hold Bayern Munich to a draw. Honestly, if you're just a neutral, Bayern under Hansi Flick are worth yeah. watching, right? They have started playing some beautiful, almost Guardiola-esque football. We talked about this in the preview, right? Thiago running things in midfield. Alfonso Davis bombing forward from left back. Thomas Muller's back to his, own, his old self, round-doitering all over the place. So <laughs> I'll be watching that game. That'll be exciting. Um, <laughs> oh, round-doitering. I love it as a verb. <laughs> it's probably massively incorrect, right? I'm mixing two languages and all kinds of grammar. Um, I like it. Then on Monday, Monday afternoon, US Eastern Time, 2.30, um, on Fox Sports, it is Werder Bremen, maybe with Joshy Sargent, um, up against Joshy. Bayer Leverkusen with Kai mm-hmm. Havertz. So there's another Bundesliga game, definitely worth watching as well. There's my Monday afternoon sorted, Taylor. I did learn the important lesson that Kai Havertz learned to play piano in this break. I heard that too. That were was they, an important thing I learned. Serious? Yeah. I'm going to assume so. I feel like he probably could. That feels like what a playmaker would do. He's like, I'm going to learn to play the piano and be even that more like skillful. Yeah, what a talented young man. What a, what a talented young man he is. Um, anything else to say, Taylor, before we, before we wrap up? I feel like we've gone long, but I think we've given people a lot of detail on the Bundesliga. Uh, the only action in town, unless you're brave enough to watch the Belarus League. I'm really excited to see Kai Havertz at Newcastle next season. Are you really? Oh, I see. I see. That hasn't gone through yet. That hasn't gone, no, it hasn't. That hasn't gone through yet. No. Um, should let people know there's been a lot going on in the Total Soccer Show feed lately. Um, there yesterday, has. a genuinely really, really good allocation disorder with Paul Tenorio and Sam Stegel discussing Major League Soccer's own plans to maybe get back to playing soccer in 2020 with what I'm going to call a weird tournament based in Orlando. <laughs> so the, there's all kinds of detail in the episode, Taylor. Like, I'd encourage you to go back to yeah. listen to it. I'd encourage our listeners to go back to listen to it. But do you remember when we went to Orlando and we went to mm-hmm. ESPN's Worldwide of Sports? Oh, I remember. That's where they're planning to play a potential MLS tournament for 2020. All right. Like everybody's centrally located and they're going to try and play it there. I'm not, th- these plans aren't like 100% fully in progress. There's mm-hmm. still a lot of negotiating to do with the players. The CBA wasn't ratified for 2020, so that's still all to be decided. It's, very, it's at least very interesting from a can this happen kind of standpoint. So definitely listen yeah. to Allocation Disorder for all the detail on that. The great thing about Allocation Disorder is the, the two guys hosting the show, um, one of them broke the story. They were both involved in the story. So you're really getting the, the great, great sources when you listen to Allocation that, Disorder. That is definitely great and is definitely a bonus of Allocation Disorder. I just want to say that when I think of the best possible places to play a number of soccer games in the high, high heat and humidity of the summer, landlocked Central Florida is just the way to go. Yep. That, I had that thought too. <laughs> that is discussed on Allocation Disorder. It is mentioned oh boy. that maybe because it's the ESPN campus and ESPN is a broadcast partner that maybe MLS want to do a favor to, that could be one of the reasons for doing it. Um, so yeah, go, back, at, go right. back and listen. Coming up soon, we have on Sunday, we'll be publishing an interview yeah. with Grant Wall. Um, Indeed. And if you're on Twitter, you will have seen the news uh, that Grant has a new podcast coming out, uh, Football with Grant Wall. And we are involved behind the scenes and a little bit in front of the scenes. So we've been helping Grant out with his new show. We're really excited about working together on that project. It was weird. I I thought he should call the new show Grantland. Apparently that was taken or something. (laughs) That's the first time I've heard that joke. That's really good. (laughs) I try. I try. Um, So yeah, actually that podcast, um, the first proper episode of that podcast will be available Monday in Grant's feed and also 
in the Total Soccer Show feed. Um, you can go now and find that podcast and subscribe to it. It is it has appeared in iTunes. It has appeared in Spotify. It is wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, football, F-U-T-B-O-L, with Grant Wall. I'll tell you what, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can go and subscribe. You'd be doing us a favor because we're involved and we want it to be a success. I'm pretty sure it's going to be because we've seen the list of upcoming guests. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and also Grant Wall. But yes, <laughs> I, think, I think knowing who he's got coming up, yes, I think people will enjoy hearing from them uh, and from Grant for sure. All right, anything else to plug, Taylor? No, uh, if you don't follow Daryl's link, if you want to be an individual and find the podcast yourself, just look for the Kelly Green cover. It's uh, kind of a bright green cover. That's the podcast. Hit subscribe. You're good to go. Very nice design. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. We always appreciate it. We wouldn't do it if you wouldn't listen. Uh, So we will talk to you again very soon. 